you could read the entire film as a Turkish take on Phantasm. Interesting. Yep. You sure it's not a sequel to Willy Wonka? <laughs> It was in his contract. Yeah. That was how they wound up getting the ending that they got, is because he signed a contract saying the ending doesn't get rewritten. <laughs> There's our people. That's right. <laughs> Welcome. It is Fright Club Live, if you couldn't tell. We are back at our home away from home. We're here once a month, second Wednesday of every month, the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. Such a great theater for horror and uh, part of that is right here at fright club live so we're happy to be back great crowd and we got a fun topic tonight that was a listener recommendation and we got a great topic tonight picked by hope <laughs> but but the last one that's the last what it one was we did on the slab that was a listener rec- recommendation <laughs> and that was fun yeah that was a fun topic and one of the things that we brought up during that podcast was that i don't even remember how we brought it up that we don't like lovecraft like neither one of us. Yeah. So we've decided. It was just it was a it was a hot take moment. It was a hot we're like, take. Like we're gonna throw it out That's here right. and see what happens. And uh, I know a lot of people love the Lovecraft. Yes. We're just not big fans. But then no, we got but challenged. Silas is, and so he he uh, he thinks that first of all we should do a whole podcast on Lovecraft, which yeah. now we're gonna have to do. We could do and that. And he recommends that we watch The Call of Cthulhu, which is my favorite thing about Lovecraft is just the word Cthulhu. Right. Like I just I just want to be able to try to spell it as often as I can. I think that's a good challenge. We should do that. Look him up. Probably stuff that we're not huge fans of, right. but we might, you know, we might, that would be a good chance for us to maybe reconsider. Maybe mm-hmm. not, Silas, we're telling you that right now, That's maybe right. not, but maybe. We also, uh, while we have you uh, have a second, our friend and senior Aussie correspondent, Corey Medcalf, has a new podcast because he has a lot of podcasts. Yeah. In. Uh, and this one is entirely about Hitchcock. It's called Presenting Hitchcock, and it's also on Gold Spiral Meter. So check that out when you get a chance because it's actually really, really cool. They choose randomly a new Hitchcock movie to just dive into every time. Yeah, and then next week he'll have a new podcast that we can <laughs> pimp out with that one as That's well. Right, so exactly. no, we love Corey, and definitely check that out because, who do, yeah, Hitchcock is great, and I'm looking forward to hear, uh, hear some of his thoughts on that. But uh, tonight it's one that is the... Well, we gave it a bunch of names. We gave it Law and Order. Right. We gave it uh, Laying Down the Law. That's it's right. police work horror. And your rules are that the, it really has to revolve around some detectives or cops trying to figure out a case. Yeah, the uh, the cops basically have to be the main characters because, uh, like, in one out of every three horror films, there's at some point, right, police procedural. Generally speaking, the police are called at some point during most of these movies. So that was too many to go through. <laughs> I needed to really limit it. So so we were looking for something that was primarily about police and police officers. And still there were a lot to go through. And so George said we could do fuzzy math. Yeah. Never for, get to do fuzzy math at a live event. Never. For the first time in quite a while, it's That's a right. top six, top five. That's right. And we are going to talk about one of those. One of those movies that we're going to talk about. All of them. We're going to show one of them, of course, as we always do tonight. And by the way, we're, we had to welcome a few new Fright Clubbers tonight, which is awesome. We've got some new people that we haven't seen before, giving out a, a lot of uh, buttons and things. Right. So I know I talked to Angela. So welcome, Angela. I talked to uh, Jeff earlier and some we didn't talk to, but I didn't catch your name. Welcome, everyone. And if you haven't gotten a button, we've got some down here. Or we've also got magnets and a bunch of fun stuff. So we'd love to have you come down after the after the movie, and we'll set you up. Yes, and I'm going to just be, I'm going to be sad, though, because I miss John 
Frank yeah, Lebron, John number D. one. We haven't seen John D in a long time, and we haven't seen Tom and Tammy, although we understand why that is, but we yep. miss them anyway. Yep. The guys maybe got some other commitments. People are busy, but uh, we love you anyway, as we do all the Frank Clubbers. So welcome to the uh, to New Faces. Hope you come back. And, of course, our veterans, thank you for coming out as, uh, as well as always. So, yeah, top six, top five, yep. and, uh, and we're so we un- under it. the gun, so we better get at it. This is actually the one we're going to see tonight, so, of course, we're not going to talk much about it because – I know some of you. How many have not seen the movie tonight? How many have not seen it? Ooh, a lot of people. I love Yay! that. I love that. So we're not going to talk much <laughs> about it at all, but we are going to uh, show the trailer, and it's a squad of unsuspecting cops going through a trapdoor to hell when they stumble upon a black mass in an abandoned building, which is never a good idea. It's Baskin. Welcome to going to be good. The only thing I want to say to the people who haven't seen it yet, you're going to be wondering about the actor who plays the character named Father, and this is his movie debut, and you have to pronounce his name for me. Mehmet Saragulo. Okay. Turkish guy, because this is a Turkish film. It is. Uh, is it like the only Turkish horror film? It One was, of the few? Yeah, it was maybe the first uh, Turkish horror film. Well, he, he pretty much just got the the role just based on his appearance. Uh, he's quite a unique... So you'll pick him out. You will pick him out. And boy, does he cut quite a figure. And uh, it's co-writer and director Cam Everall. Yes, Everall. And Everall. Uh, I think the less we say about it, the better. True. So we'll go talk privately about it later, but I can't wait for you guys to see this movie! <laughs> Okay, we've hung out our Do Not Disturb sign, privacy please, <laughs> as we like to do, to talk about the movie a little more in depth, but we've got quite a few people that haven't seen it, which yeah. is very cool. We always love that. I'm going to be interested to get their reaction afterwards, but um, it's an interesting film. It's an intense It's an intense film, and the one thing that we did point out uh, to the people who haven't seen it was about the guy that plays Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baba. Yeah. He's so striking looking, mm-hmm. but then when you look into his background, it's amazing because he had no prior experience in acting, but according to uh, the director, Cam Evernall, he really contributed a lot toward the character in the way it fleshed it out for, for really a novice in acting. He also then went on to have art exhibits yeah. where he created these art installations based on this character in this film. It's amazing. And he does. He cuts quite an impressive figure, and he reminds me in a way of Michael Berryman. Mm-hmm. You know? But the other thing that about him is that he's, he's quite a commanding presence. He his really is. His voice is amazing, and, and his delivery is, is just outstanding. I mean, he... It's a great movie, but he just, he anchors it in such a fascinating way. Yeah, and once you've seen the movie, it would come as no surprise that uh, the character, Evernall has said the character of Father is uh, modeled after Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse oh, Now, sure. which uh, sure, a sure. mini version, I suppose, <laughs> although although uh, Mehmet is a lot more jacked. Oh, he definitely you know? is. He yeah. really is. Yeah, by the time he drops that robe, you're like, damn, look at them shoulders. I know. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's great. Uh, the entire movie... It's a hellish nightmare, yeah. you know, 
You have to see it more than once, I think, to appreciate all the little touches. That's that's true with a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the foreshadowing mm-hmm. things that you might have missed yeah. the first time around, yeah. you pick up a lot more. I think that's I know you've said it uh, when we've talked about the movie that that was the case for you. It certainly was the case for me. You know, the, the first time I saw it, I was thrown a little bit. There's an opening sequence uh, of a child, a small child, mm-hmm. and the score and the setting, it's all got, you know, it's got like a little Argento, a little Lucio Fulci. And then at the end, I'm thinking to myself, no, do you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Phantasm. <laughs> and then as a, you know, and then the second time and then third time I watched the movie, I'm telling you, uh, my take is that you could read this as a, tur- you could read the entire film, uh, Baskin, as a, a Turkish take on Phantasm. Interesting. Yep. You sure it's not a sequel to Willy Wonka? <laughs> if you haven't seen that, by the way, you've got to look up. I finally got hope to watch somebody, and I, I wish I knew their name to give them credit. Somebody on YouTube did this this great explanation, breaking down of how the movie Snowpiercer, Snow which is a great movie, it's a great movie, is actually a sequel to Willy Wonka. Now, uh, if you've seen Snowpiercer and if you've seen Willy Wonka, you go, what? Yeah. I'm telling you, watch this video. Yeah, you, yeah. It will convince you. Absolutely so, convinced. Right. I was absolutely convinced but, by the end. But we digress. Mind blown. That's a good take. I'll admit it's one that I haven't thought of, mm. but um, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can see that. I think the, op- well, the opening sequence, then by the time the movie's over, it, it, it really helps to establish which character has the biggest arc. Yeah, yeah. You know? who, and that who is, is your point of view character? Yeah, because it, it's, not, it's not immediately clear. No, it's not, because you're introduced to this group of policemen, mm-hmm. and among the whole group, I think it's clear that Arda, the kind of the newbie yeah. uh, on the block, is the point of view character, mm-hmm. is the main character, mm-hmm. because he goes through a lot of those, uh, the flashbacks about his his youth, and then um, with Renzi, his kind of his mentor, yeah, yeah. Uh, is also heavily involved in what becomes of both their characters and yeah. really why because he's got an interesting backstory too a bit of a secret that he hasn't told anyone there's a dreamlike quality to the whole film oh yeah and there is this time loop that happens where you don't know what is reality and what is is not reality and i remember you know the when they every so often erda will open his eyes and they're back at this cafe and on the one hand, you know, you think, like, God, don't make me go through this again. And on the other hand, it's like, well, thank God I got a minute away from that hellscape, you know? <laughs> um, and that, and that's, like, the first time it happens. Like that, but then eventually you're like, keep your eyes open, Erda. Don't close them again because, yeah. you know, you're, yeah. just, you're better off in the cafe. It's an interesting touch, mm-hmm. you know, the the way that that affects the overall kind of tenor of, of the film, these these kind of dream sequences. And once they get into the, the basement there, the bowels of the old yeah. uh, police station, Evernall has said that he modeled the main inspirations for those sequences were The Descent, Quest for Fire, which I found interesting. That is interesting. Uh, Frontiers, and, and also Only God Forgives. Only God Forgives, yeah. interesting, which is another film that could definitely be read as taking place in its entirety in hell. Mm-hmm. That's how we read it when we saw it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's Much more colorful, though. Yes, very, <laughs> very brightly colored and brightly lit, yes. which is one of the things, you know, uh, about this movie. There's not a jump scare to be found, right? right? Uh, and, and it's not as... It's just 
dark. Yeah. And and what you see in the distance and hear, mm-hmm. you know, some uh, some chewing noises, some writhing, you know, and some you s- clapping, some slapping. You're like, and some, what is some, going on? Some bodies separated by some sort of thin paper or some sort of partition so that you only see a little bit of what exactly happening and who's it happening to and it, which and makes it all the more creepy yes it's very unsettling because very. it takes your imagination in places there you just don't want it going <laughs> yeah, exactly um, and i think that you know there there are times when things like that happen in films and you just chalk it up to a lack of imagination on part of on the part oh, or, no, or lack oh, of funds here. on the part of the filmmaker yeah. but no because i think part of what they're saying hell is inside you mm-hmm. you're right and he's tapping into that like oh, yeah. you know what nothing is going to gross you out more than your own imagination so let's just see where your head goes yeah well, i think specifically the line is Hell is not a place you go. You carry it with you always. Yeah. That's what Baba says, and I believe him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Especially after watching this movie. So uh, we think it's very effective. I'm going to be very interested to get the take on everybody tonight, Mm -hmm. especially the ones, the majority. Yeah. Who haven't seen it. Who have not seen it. That's right. So it should be good. So let's get back in there and get ready to watch it. Baskin. So we're into the real top five now, and this is two detectives a rookie and a veteran hunting a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives from 1995-7. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Seven. What's in the box? (laughs) What's in the box? Oh, and you know, the really interesting thing is when you read about how much of a fight they had between studio executives and between the actors in the movie about that scene because everybody wanted about the end mm-hmm. everybody wanted it differently you know there was there was an actual quote unquote happy ending that the studio executives wanted which i guess Brad Pitt said i'm not doing it it was in his contract yeah. that was how they wound up getting the ending that they got is because he signed a contract saying the ending doesn't get rewritten but even then there was a fight about which one of them would take that final action at the end. I'm trying not to spoil something. Is there anybody here that hasn't seen Seven? Oh, dude, Mason. Get on okay. it. <laughs> wow. You okay. called him out. Okay. Guy in fourth row. <laughs> um, no, there was there was some fight amongst the actors about, specifically Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, about which one of them should take that action. And, of course, Brad Pitt started. Each one, I think, if you read about it, each one kind of had a compelling case. But, you know, Brad Pitt won out. And... He also won out on his wardrobe uh, choices. He he insisted that he buy all the ties for his character because <laughs> he thought it was important that his character had a horrible fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes into getting those characters. But it's such a, a dark, you know, the look of it is so dark and grimy, and it fits the movie so perfectly. It's so tense, and, of course, it has that... Mason, close your ears. It has that uh, additional actor in the cast that winds up oh yeah it was a big shock yeah. uh, that really takes the that's when that movie turns in a completely different direction that's right so basically all of shamed hollywood is in or behind this film because of course it's also a miramax movie so <laughs> yes yeah yes, they're all right. in it but that 
notwithstanding. No. It's, it's awesome. It is. It's a great movie, and it's uh, it's the first time we realized Fincher was Fincher. I mean, mm-hmm. you go on later to be like, oh, yeah, like Zodiac. You're like, yes, totally the guy that made Seven, 100,000%. But, you know, he hadn't done much. He did uh, Alien 3, which at the at that point most people just hated. You watch it now, you're like, okay, that's David Fincher. Well, I mean, this... it fucks up a lot of the storyline and kills everybody we liked, but still. And it was because of his bad experience with that movie that he just didn't read any scripts for a long time, and I think this was... One of, if not the first script he read after his self-imposed sabbatical, and it was just knocked out by it. It's interesting because it's written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who mm-hmm. who did Eight Millimeter and uh, Sleepy Hollow. Eh, you know, all right, all right, here and there, Sleepy Hollow. But I mean, it's easily the best thing that he's done, and it's. Um, I um, I love. Uh, we we probably at some point will we'll do a whole podcast on Seven Deadly Sin movies because mm-hmm. there are a ton of them, and some of them are really campy and stupid. But it's a great. And, and and if we could do a theme song, which we can't anymore, it would be Gilligan's Island because, oh. as you know, they're all the, the, they're patterned after the Seven Deadly Sins. Except um, Skipper is two of the sins, and Gilligan is none. But still, that's how I kept it straight in Catholic school. That is that's how I that's how I figured it out when I was in school. And you know, some might argue that tonight's movie has a little bit of that theme to it. But that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. That's right. This is actually Seven is the the third slowest film to reach $100 million in U.S. box office after Shakespeare in Love. Which should never have made it. I know. And Unforgiven, which is great. Oh, yeah. But this is the third slowest. I think it still is. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it holds up. Because Gwyneth Paltrow puts butts in seats, but not for a few weeks. (laughs) That's my theory, because she has two of those movies. She should add that to our IMDb page. (laughs) Uh, That is at five. It's seven. On our list of law and order horror, moving it up to number four. This is one that, I don't know about you, it surprised me. I didn't expect to like this movie as much as I did when we saw it. This is from uh, 2016. Soon after a stranger arrives in a little village, a mysterious sickness starts spreading. This one is called The Wailing. There's a, a pattern that I'm seeing, and I don't know if it's that so many horror films that are, are really based around uh, police force are religious-themed, mm. or if just the ones I like are. <laughs> if like I think that I might just really be able to you know, situate myself in films where that comparison between law and order, mm-hmm. earthly and sort of spiritual, sure. collide in incredibly creepy ways. Yeah, this one, like I said, it surprised me when we watched it. And it's a slow burn. This is about two and a half hours is, long, yeah. I believe. But it really gets you engrossed in what's going on, the, the way the suspense builds. The cast is great. It's also weirdly funny yeah. in spots. Um, the one face you probably recognize in the trailer is John Kunamuso, I believe. Long, long career. But this was actually his first Korean film. In a, a, a Japanese actor. In a, yeah, in like a 35-year career. But uh, very familiar, known him from a lot of different movies. But um, it's very uh, centered around, obviously, police procedural. But yeah. yet there's some real um, supernatural, possibly supernatural stuff going on. But one, one of the things that is great about it is it's set in a very small town in Korea, and the uh, the police force is is primarily uh, nitwits led yeah. by Duan Kwok, 
who plays Jean Gu, and he's he's the main character, and he's your Brad Pitt, if you will. I mean, he's the he's the guy leading the investigation, and he's just a moron. You know, he's bullied by his family, and he's always being fed, and he falls down a lot, and you're like, they're never gonna figure out what the hell's going on. Um, and so it's got this really does have this really absurd comedy mm-hmm. to it that that I think lends it a really interesting air because. You start to just assume that the the leads he finds, he's going to misinterpret. So you start thinking everything he's coming up with is wrong, but maybe it isn't. And and there are, are times in the movie where uh, uh, evil forces are using it to their advantage that this guy is such an idiot. But he's got a great character arc, and his performance is really wonderful. Yeah, and it's um, director Hong Jin-na. Uh, Who did Chaser. Yes, and he has said that this is based on a lot of folk religions in Korea and Nepal and on and also on Catholic faith which is you, you picked up on of course and it it does a lot with <laughs> it seeps out of my pores <laughs> like stigmata it it does a lot with a cause and effect uh, maybe does. some some fake outs i guess yeah. of causes and effects and it is long it's very involving as it gets to you know kind of how as a lot of movies do how evil takes root and what can be the the, the true cause Mm -hmm. and and growth of evil and once you're in like if you can hang with it for at least you know 45 minutes or so it is a slow burn but it'll get you i think you and you'll want to stick it out to the end absolutely and that is number what are you up to number Number four four. that is the wailing so moving up to number three on our law and order in horror countdown this is from 2010 i think we've talked about this before because we've shown it that's right. How can I forget? We've shown it here at Fright Club Live. A secret agent exacts revenge on a serial killer through a series of captures and releases. I saw the devil. Here's another two-and-a-half-hour Korean bloodfest. Yes, and, and this is one that should have been subtitled, Min Sink Choi Can Take a Beating. He can, right? Woo-hoo. So if you've seen Old Boy, and if you haven't, get on it. Uh, you already know that Min Sink Choi can take a beating because he's the lead in Old Boy. He's also the lead in this film, uh, and he plays opposite Byung Hun Lee, who's the the handsome police officer that you see. And that's one of the things I think is so great about this movie is the way that the, the this disheveled sort of, you know, sloppy-looking killer versus this very elegant and put-together and, and angular uh, police detective. Oh, yeah. You know, and the way that they play this cat-and-mouse game because the police detective uh, has basically given up on law and order. Uh-huh. And, uh, and once he embraces chaos, really, he doesn't... When he loses... When he lets go of control, uh, via, he, he doesn't really anticipate what the downfall is going to be to those around him. And it really makes for a very um, tense uh, two and a half hours of, of, of a lot of bloodshed. Yeah, and you can tell that, like you said, in, their, in just the way their characters look and act. One is all about control, mm-hmm. and one is all about you know just bull in the china shop. Yeah. That's how he acts, that's how he lives, that's how he kills and attacks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as these catches and releases, he's just toying with yeah. him. And it just wants him to stay alive so he can continue to torture him. And then it becomes, at what point does he actually become a monster himself? Right. Which is, circles back to, I guess, the law and order of this. Because he is able, early on, he's able to use information that he yeah. has access to mm-hmm. to further his 
let's face it, law-breaking yeah. to further what he's doing, what he has in mind for this uh, for this criminal and this attacker. And it's it's another long burn, not as a slow burn as the whaling. No, this no, gets, it gets right gets to it. It is it. It is percussive uh, in, and, and violent. It gives you time. I think it gives you at least a couple times where you think it's leading to an end. You think this is going to be the final comeuppance, and it's not. No. And it just keeps going on. But I, I, I don't think at the, the at the end there was a lot I would have shaved off. I no. mean, it's, it's satisfying. No, no, I'm 100% with you. And it's from writer-director Jiwoon Kim, who did A Tale of Two Scissors, which we've also shown. So we're big fans of, yeah. of that filmmaker. And it's just a marvelous film. The two actors going against each other are great. They are. You know, because they, they're totally into these, the way that their their characters are set up to be polar opposites of one another. And, you know, at times... Who has the upper hand goes back and forth oh, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the catches and releases are just great. So, yeah, we, we loved I Saw the Devil, number three, on our Law and Order countdown. And we're up against the clock, so let's keep it moving up to number two from 2012. A series of brutal murders puts the lives of three men on a collision course. This one is Big Bad Wolves. This is such an entertaining movie in so many ways. As you could tell from that trailer, it's it's funny. Uh, and it, it's like the most darkly, darkly funny film. And it's also brutal. Oh, and my it's, God. It's, and it's visually just, it's so hypnotic and compelling. We showed this film here, and it's been, it's funny because it's been on another countdown with Baskin, Best Middle Eastern Horror. We show, we show some good movies we here. We do. <laughs> if we do say so. <laughs> yeah, it's got a great ending. A uh, little, little sh- shock. I don't want to say a, a huge twist ending, but it's a good one. Yeah. And it stars one of our favorite as actors, especially in foreign films, uh, Lior Ashkenazi. He is great he in is pretty great. much everything. Yeah. Uh, and he's great here. He is. But the whole cast is oh, absolutely yeah. amazing. And uh, so Lior is the police officer. And then uh, as they show in the trailer, he he kind of matches wits with the father whose daughter's gone missing and they kidnap this little elfish teacher because they believe that he is uh, part of it. And then, and then the grandpa shows up out of nowhere and, and it's the most, and then at the, the grandpa is the one at the end with the blowtorch <laughs> and it's, um, you know, and it's called big bad wolves because it's really about preying on those who are weaker than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a, it, I mean, it packs a wallop. It is a brutal film it and is. you almost feel simultaneously relieved and horrible about yourself or how often you laugh. Yeah, and it keeps you guessing because they're so sure that this man they're going to torture is has abducted this this girl or knows where she is. Right, and it just keeps you guessing as does he? Right, does he not? Are they they can't be wrong, can they? And yeah, it actually is digging for some humanity in this incredible mm-hmm. premise, and they do find some, and humor is part of that. But they also find some really squeamish look away moments. Yes, they before do before that really kind of a gut punch of an ending, and we just. We uh, love it a lot. It's a Big Bad Wolves, number two on our list. Moving it up to number one, and uh, boy, what else could it be when you're talking about uh, law and order and police procedure? Well, no introduction except it's Hope's all-time favorite movie, The Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) You're very frank, Clarice. I think it would be quite something to know you in private life. Quid pro quo, Doctor. Tell me about Miss West Virginia. 
Was she a large girl? Yes. Big through the hips, rummy? They all were. What else? She had an object deliberately inserted into her throat. Now. Is it a butterfly? Yes. A moth. Just like the one we found in Benjamin Raspail's head an hour ago. Why does he place them there, Doctor? The significance of the moth is change. Our belly wants to change, too. <laughs> Sometimes I think I do these just so I can put this on here. Um, <laughs> yeah, wh but it's funny because one of the things that we want to do is not necessarily talk about Ted Levine and not necessarily talk about Anthony Hopkins. Right. But talk about... Clarice Starling. Yeah, because we've talked about this movie so many times with good reason, and right. you could just go on and on about so many different angles. But yeah, just focusing on the, the police procedural of it, just that part alone is great because, well, first of all, it's the way Jonathan Demme puts everything from her point of view. As we've probably mentioned before, every character that is talking to Clarice is talking straight, looking straight into the camera. But yet every time Clarice is talking, her eyes are off just a little bit. So it's clear. It's it's more clear than most movies where the point of view is coming from, and and it's her. Yeah, and also it's interesting because when you when you look at I Saw the Devil, the whole film is about sort of paralleling the the cop and the bad guy. And Jonathan Demme is a, a much subtler about it. But every time that Clarice talks to Hannibal Lecter, you see his reflection in the two shot, and vice versa. So they're basically throughout the film mirror images of each other. Uh, I mean, they're, you're right. We could I, we I could talk about this movie for the next <laughs> three and a half weeks with just filibuster about this movie. And I'm going to try not to, but, but I mean, there are like 300,000 reasons to watch it. But the, the, the police work yeah. and how mad she gets in that autos autopsy room. Mm -hmm. And when she talks to that woman with the terrible bangs, remember that? Do you know a James Gum? No one's named James. There's no one named James, George. And, and because of the beginning of this, she's a rookie, you know, and then how she's treated throughout the, Throughout the investigation, of course, she calls out, as you, as you just alluded to, she calls out to Crawford the way that she was kind of right. talked down to and, and treated uh, with these small townies. But it was made with a lot of cooperation with the FBI, and mm. that's why it gets it, gets it right, right as far as their procedures go more than uh, a lot of films. Uh, Jack Crawford's role was based on real-life FBI agent uh, John Douglas, who worked with Scott Glenn a lot mm. uh, and, and apparently let him... Yeah. Listen to some really grisly tapes that uh, he has had to listen to as part of real cases that really, really stayed with uh, Scott Glenn and just gave him a little, little taste of what these FBI agents have to go through sometimes. But that adds to the authenticity. They really tried to, to, to make it real. And in addition to, of course, the iconic character of Hannibal Lecter, yeah. just if you just break it down to the hunt uh, and the way that is set up through, oh, yeah. through the detective work, that is, is so tense as well. It is. It's incredibly, it's, it's really well paced. It's really well shot, of course, as, as every, everything in this film is. Um, and it's, it's, it's fairly breathless. Really. And then, you know, it's been done in other movies, of course, and, and a lot since, since this movie. But that fake out when they get to James Gum's house. Oh, yeah. The way they set it up yeah. so you think that they have the right house and then realize. She's that alone. That she's alone there. That is so well done and so uh, and so well directed. And she's so little. She's very small. I've, I'm always bothered by that. Like, oh, my God, she's got, like, no wingspan at all, and he's just <laughs> a big looming mess. And, of course, it swept the major categories of the Oscars that year. That's right. But even even today, if you, as I 
got on IMDb and was looking up this movie today. If you look at IMDb, it is not listed as a horror movie, which is astounding, as we've talked about before, because, well, I'll let you, it's your... Yeah, because once a film is is just accepted as a masterpiece, it ceases to be a horror film, and people refer to it as a thriller. Yeah. But let's, let's just be honest. This is a movie about a man who eats human flesh, helping the FBI track down a man who wears human flesh. That sounds like a horror film to me. <laughs> Just a madcap comedy. It is. Hope. It's a romp. <laughs> and it's your all-time favorite film and, of course, number one in our Law and Order Horror, Silence of the Lambs from 1991. So we've got one to show here in just a few minutes. We are looking forward to the next Fright Club Live, which is going to be, of course, the second Wednesday of, of um, April, April. On the 10th. April on 10th. April 10th. We're going to do our classic for for 2019, we're going to show Daughters of Darkness. Yeah. And this has made several of our countdowns, uh, so the topic that we landed on for this one is lesbians in horror. So that is April the 10th. Bring your taxes. We'll have a look at them before you file them. <laughs> they won't be right, but, you know, <laughs> we'll look at them. And between now and then, actually, our next Fright Club that won't be live is going to be on Twist Endings, which is a really fun topic, and we're going to be co-hosted uh, with Andy Ussery from Black Cat Shadow Podcast. Safe to say that one might have a spoiler or yeah, two. Yes, exactly. So yes. We'll, we'll, we'll say that now. So, Mason, we won't talk about seven. No. Okay? We don't want a spoiler for you. So uh, this podcast, will get it all uh, edited, and it should be up on Monday. Of course, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, also at our website, madwolf.com. And when you do check it out, subscribe, rate, and review. I'm, I'm, at some <laughs> I point, I'm going to be able your to big remember line. to say Hit it. it. <laughs> but please do that. Please yeah. subscribe, rate, and review. We, we appreciate all this. There's some great reviews on there, and we, we really appreciate that, as always. So we hope you get in touch. Again, it's madwolf.com is the main website. You can find us on Twitter. We're Fright Club Pod is the uh, special Fright Club podcast Twitter. And then on uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Mad Wolf Columbus. So keep in touch. We always love to talk about horror. And uh, until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Nice job, Kurt. Thank you. Hit it.